It's an 87th Precinct podcast. This is the only podcast in the world dedicated to Ed McBain's 87th Precinct Mysteries, the genre-defining series of police procedural novels which began in 1956 with Cop Hater and ended in 2005 with the novel Fiddlers. There were 55 books in the series and today's podcast is all about book number 20, which is Doll. To review the book, I'm joined by two notorious jailbirds from Sing Sing. Mr. Morgan the Gouger Brown. Hello. And Mr. Stephen the Tunneler Royston. Hello. Well, you sounded that notorious there, didn't we? Oh, well. Well, that's perhaps the, uh, the key to your success. That's it, yeah. And anyway, here's the usual reminder. You can find us on all social media, podcast apps, YouTube, Instagram, etc. as Hark87 Podcast. And if you'd like to drop us $3 for a digital coffee, as so many of you are doing, I mean, we can't help but move for emails confirming the amount of contributions. You two just had coffees. I never had one. They were real coffees. <laughs> um, anyway, you, we've got a coffee site, ko-fi.com slash podcast, and you can donate t- towards running the show if you like to. We're going to carry on anyway until they drag us away. <laughs> Which they inevitably will. Yeah. So it's been a little while since the last podcast, or the last book podcast anyway, but in the interim, I interviewed James Nocte. Oh, yes, you From did. the BBC. Mm, and put that out as well, so... Very prestigious. That was a high-profile guest. Mm. Uh-huh. I hope everyone enjoyed that. He very much enjoys Ed McBain, a very passionate reader of mysteries. And so, yeah, that was a very nice treat. Hopefully we'll be able to talk to him again at some point in the future, do a slightly longer podcast. Right, let's get on to Doll, because this is the second of the 87th Precinct books that come out in 1965. Okay. The last one being He Who Hesitates, the one we did before. Although the copyright date for this this book is the 11th of October, 65. I think it came out around December. But when we have two in a year, I normally turn over our little chat about what was going on in the charts over to Christmas. Mm. And actually, we're nearly at the Christmas season. The lights are up in a lot of places. Yeah. Did they switch on at my work yesterday? Turn some trees on. Yeah, so it doesn't hurt to start getting a bit Christmassy. So Crimbo 65. Crimbo well. 65. Well, I'm not going to go mad on this because I think there's a lot to talk about with this book. Mm. But we'll have a look at the charts. And so if you can, <laughs> as always, if you can think what might have been dominating the charts here in, in America in 1965, Christmas Day... Uh, Matt Munro. No, 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 Matt from no Rat Munro. No Matt Munro. Uh, he said, having to look really close. Somebody like small. him. Well, it's nineteen sixty-five. So you know, the Beatles. The Beatles are number one in, oh. in the UK. <laughs> I prefer Matt Munro's. I guess. <laughs> what were the, the number one with at Christmas? The double A side, nineteen sixty-five. Penny Lane. And no. No, that's a couple of years earlier there, aren't we? Um, it would be... Ah, the cogs are turning. Very, very slowly. I can't even think. Isn't that terrible? So, uh, let me have a guess then. Go on, then. I always think Penny Lane's earlier than it is. I always put that in about... Mm. Uh, day mm. Tripper? It's Day Tripper. Yeah. Backed with We Can Work It Out. Or oh. not backed with it, but... Double A side. Right. So both they were number one. In the UK anyway. We weren't in America. Although America's still Brit invasion crazy at this point. Dave Clark 5. Dave Clark 5. Come on, shooter! <laughs> A song called one. Over and Over. Over and over and over again. I'd bang the desk if I was allowed. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> but yeah. I suspect that was a very accurate rendition, particularly of the drum playing of That's oh, Dave I made, exactly I made up one of my guesses came through. Yep. <laughs> we definitely captured the stomp. I'm not two years where. too early for them, am I? <laughs> oh, well. Spot on. Yeah, but when it gets to the time when you can guess Penny Lane, you're yeah. going to choose something else, aren't you? Well, I am, yeah. Anyway, there's a few little uh, interesting ones, actually, between the two charts. For instance, in America, the I... I only printed out the top five for the UK, but I printed out the top eight for the uh, American charts, just because at number eight is England Swings by Roger Miller. Like a pendulum do. In- England Swings <laughs> like a pendulum do. Bobbies on bicycles, two by two. <laughs> Westminster Abbey, the Tower of Big Ben. 
the happy little face, oh, the happy <laughs> smiling faces of the little children. How on Excellent. earth do you know the lyrics to that song? England swings like a pendulum. Do I only knew that line? <laughs> But I obviously should have been paying more attention because to the rest of it. He's, it's, he's the good Durham Town guy, isn't he? Uh, and we're leaving's going to get him down. Was he not a whistling man, Roger Miller? Yeah, no, do. that's Roger Whittaker, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, I, I do tend to get the Roger. Two. So R- it was Roger, Durham Town, Roger, Roger Miller's um, King of the Road. Oh, yeah, right. yeah that sounds about I'm right. thinking of Roger Whittaker. Yeah. <laughs> Just thinking, we're always how thinking on of earth Roger Whittaker at number eight in the American charts. <laughs> Who did Durham Town? I don't know. Listeners, well. if you know who did Durham Town... <laughs> it was a stupid song about Durham Town. And he had oh, a beard, this fella. It might, well, was, that could it be was called Roger. I think it might have been Whittaker, yeah. Roger. I think it... Mm. One, one of the notable Rogers. Notable Rogers of the past. See, to me, Roger Miller played for Cameroon in the 1990 World Cup. Well, it, it was a man of many talents. And all the while he was singing England Swings Like a Pendulum Do. I think there's also a Roger Miller in um, yeah, it's Mission of Burma too. Oh, yeah. Mission of Burma. So, you know, wide and diverse range of music. I would love to hear a around. Mission of Burma cover of England Swing. Yeah, it was Roger Whittaker. Okay. So I, that's why I was so surprised <laughs> that he was at number eight well, with a know, song about swinging England or whatever it's called. We've barely the, started the podcast the, and there's been a surprise Roger. The, the least swinging man yeah, it's true. ever. But the American chart, number two is Turn, Turn, Turn by The Birds. Nice. Mm-hmm. Folk rock kicking in there. But number three is I Got You, I Feel Good by James Brown. Excellent. Which is pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. And some, some good chowns. Uh, yeah. Dave Clark all over them all. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, uh, pipping James Brown at the post as uh, would always be the case. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the more authentic performer. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, James Brown was never a stuntman like Dave Clark was, you see. He thought he was the hardest working man in show business, but he'd not met Dave Clark. No, he hadn't. Wasn't as loud on the drums as anyway, he was. Or as relentless. So in the top five of the UK, there's two entries in the top five for Ken Dodd. Excellent. Of course, of uh, course yeah. Happiness? Is not one of them. In fact, <gasps> almost the opposite, Morgan. Tears? Tears is, is the other. <laughs> it's the only other one I know. And there's one called The River. The River? I don't know if it's Mersey-themed, but it's... Uh, Ken Dodd, for folks who don't know, was a Liverpoolian comedian, and he was very, very popular, particularly at the, when sort of Beatlemania and the Mersey sound craze kicked off and everything sort of northwest and Liverpool was very, very popular. And he died this year, didn't he? Um, he did, yeah. Was, yeah, within the last year, definitely. He mm. was famous for doing stand-up shows, comedy shows, that would last for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> mm. Literally, the sort of lock the door, don't let them leave. Mm, what else have we got? Oh, the Carnival is Over Ooh. by The Seekers. Oh. And a Cliff Richard song I've never heard of called Wind Me Up, Let Me Go. Wow, sounds feisty. Crikey. I saw, He's got a new album. Yeah, now. I saw the advert oh, for his Lord. new album. It's It seems very defiant. Really? Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah. The, yeah. He was singing it on radio two the other day, and it sounded absolutely dreadful. I can imagine. Oh, just speaking of Cliff and totally off off topic. Otherwise, I, I just saw um, Expresso Bongo for the first time. Oh, excellent uh, stuff. Recently, yeah, a bit bit grittier and racier than I expected. To be honest, with Cliff in it. Well, yeah, it's no. quite quite saucy in parts. Then the dark days of uh, ah. early British <laughs> rock and roll. Oof. So instead of Movies and things. We've done all the movies in the last podcast for 65. Christmas Day television in the, um, in the UK. And I'm not going to make you guess. I was, but you could probably guess one thing that was on television for definite on Christmas Day. The Queen. Speech. The Queen's speech, yeah. At three o'clock, like it always is and still is. That would be weird when it's someone else doing that. Mm. Doctor Who was on mm-hmm. as a Christmas thing, which it isn't this year for the first time in ages. There was the very famous episode in 1965 of Doctor Who where William Hartnell breaks the fourth wall and, and wishes everyone at home a Merry Christmas as well Ooh. in an episode called The Feast of Stephen. Mm. What else have we got? Oh, and this is nice. Max Bygraves meets the black and white minstrels. Oh, <laughs> wow. That sounds oh, yeah. uncomfortable. It certainly does. I bet you got, got a fly-on-the-wall documentary <laughs> or uh, an entertainment programme. <laughs> Who or... knows? There's a thing, thing on before Doctor Who called... Uh, about Val Dunican. Uh, Val Dunican appeals for family service units. <laughs> I don't know what that is. That sounds very intriguing. 
imagine you were a TV commissioner. Yeah. In those days, the, the Val- gold, golden age of entertainment. Yeah, <laughs> when you could put Max Bygraves meeting the black and white minstrels on, and know you'd get eleven million viewers. Yeah, Max Bygraves goes caving. I don't know. <laughs> Dennis Norden climbs Mount Snowden. <laughs> Would watch. It'd be great, wouldn't it? With his clipboard. Yeah. Yeah, you know, been, yeah. Tommy Cooper walks the M1 live. Uh, Imagine that. Talking about Ken Dodd, he had his own show. He had an hour-long show on at nine thirty. Only night. an hour. Wow. Yeah, and uh, Top of the Pops was on in that evening at ten thirty-five. Presenters including Pete Murray, uh-huh. Alan Freeman, David Jacobs, Jimmy Savile. Yeah. Sixty-five was the first year, certainly in America, and then very much around the world that a Charlie Brown Christmas was shown. Warmly remembered in the hearts of many listeners in America, I should imagine. It's lovely, the Charlie Brown Christmas cartoon. Indeed. Do you want an uh, a infrastructure fact, steve The infrastructure fact from 1965 will be the opening of... <laughs> what? No. 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 Oh, God damn it. I was gonna... It's not so much physical infrastructure in this instance. Mental infrastructure. <laughs> uh, Metaphysical infrastructure. Not physical infrastructure. Well, it is physical, but not like a road. Not like a road building scheme is what I mean. Okay. It was basically something that happened to motorways in the late latter part of 1965. Uh, central reservation barriers. No. It might have been that, but motorway I... service stations. No. Oh. I would say that they were physical infrastructure. Well, so would I. I'm, I'm intrigued as to what this is. <laughs> Basically, be... it was when they imposed the 70 mile an hour speed limit oh. on motorways. Oh, right. And all these motoring journalists were up in arms because they couldn't do 120 miles an hour down a <laughs> yeah. motorway. Because I think prior to that, there'd hardly been any traffic on them. So people were just razzing around on them. Yeah. And then party poopers put a, a speed limit on. Well, it was introduced by the transport minister for the time who was called Hugh Fraser who this yeah. journalist described as a dour Scotsman <laughs> <laughs> with little experience or knowledge of cars and modern driving conditions the idea that modern driving conditions would be allowing you people to go 120 miles an hour down a motorway he's there in his horse and cart going slow down well you know slow down <laughs> Well, before the, uh, in the early days of the motorway, they never had a barrier in the transfer reservation, so people used to drive up one side and just do U-turns and come <laughs> back the other, because they, they were a bit of recreational kind of use, because they were so strange. There you go. <laughs> oh, I thought it was going to be the opening of some bridge or something. I was well I'll try and to. find one for you yeah. next, for next time. I'll, I'll, we're I'll in, do my level best. We're in, yeah. We're Mass in, expansion of the road system, really, yeah, so in the UK. There'd be, there'd be bridges popping up everywhere. This is what people tune in for. <laughs> Absolutely. Think of a couple. Come for the Ed McBain, stay for the I, British I, motorway history. I, I can think of a few imminent. Oh, right. Well, maybe then. I'll task you to find some out. Let's get to the book then. Sorry, the everyone. Book. There's a book now. <laughs> it doesn't feature any of the things Ma- we talked about. This was a major infrastructure project of a literary a nature. Literary infrastructure. Mm. 1965 then, second book, 20th in the series... And I reckon that this is a significant departure. Not a departure, a significant step in the development of the mm, books. I wouldn't disagree there. Would you disagree, Morgan? I wouldn't. No, don't make me come over there. <laughs> I found out a, a little bit of background information. There's not masses of stuff you can find out about the writing process because he tended, certainly for these earlier books, it, it, you tend not to get author interviews with him speaking about the actual writing process of a specific book or the background to it. Certainly from the mid-80s onwards, there's lots of high-profile stuff. It's quite easy to find him talking about things like money, 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 and things like that. Tons of interviews. But in the archive, in the Ed McBain archive that's held up in Boston, I did find that the archive contains 17 pages of handwritten notes for this, Mm -hmm. two photos of the character Tinker Sachs, and that is the reproductions, presumably, that are in the book. Obviously... The typescript notes and rewrites of Doll, an original rough draft with some revisions, and then a bunch of letters. Now, this intrigued me. There was a bunch of letters in the box where Doll was stored. Not that I can read them, but I know what they are. Some that were written to Mrs. Ambler, some that were written to Mr. Ambler, the Mr. Ambler being Eric Ambler, the author, who wrote 
a lot of important spy novels, of which I've never read a single one, but apparently really, really good and really, really significant. Mm. He was like one of Graham Greene's favourite writers, oh, dead cool. influential on the spy genre. And then that led me to think, well, I wonder if I can find out what their relationship was, because apparently some of these letters were to do with information about drug laws, which feature in this book. And this same place that holds the McBain archive also holds the Eric Ambler archive. And in the Eric Ambler archive, it says, the only entry for Doll says, second draft of screenplay based on the novel by Ed McBain. Mm-hmm. So Eric Ambler was apparently writing a screenplay on, based on this book. Mm-hmm. And no film emerged. So there is no film adaptation of Doll. So but, he, must have been, he must have been quite... Was he quite old then? If he was like a favourite of Graham Greene? I think or? he was... I'm not... Well, I'm not sure. I've never I know heard he got like, I must admit, I've never heard of him. Yeah, I think the name rings a bell, but mm. no one I know anything about. We must find out more. Apparently mm. he's very, very good. But cool. uh, Yeah, so he was having correspondence with McBain and it looks like it was with a view to writing a screenplay. So, uh, yeah, Eric Ambler did write screenplays as well as books. Mm. Wow. So that's intriguing. We could have had a, a film of this, which would have been... Interesting. Ah. Mm. Instead, the only adaptation of this that we've got is from 1980, and it's a Czech TV production <laughs> called no. Paninka. Oh, that sounds interesting. It's all on YouTube. Oh. Is it? Sadly, not subtitled, oh. but um, you get the gist. You get the gist. I'm of it. sure we can can make up our own. I think we will after we've done this. Perhaps we watch a little bit of it just so yeah. you can see some of the clothes and hair. Sounds Ooh. good. But yeah, if you want to watch that, everyone, it's on YouTube. It's called Paninka. I think, from what I can tell, is it's pretty true to the book. Mm. Great. Perhaps not as... Well, I don't, it's not that the book's graphic... Well, it is a bit graphic, this book. Mm. Maybe that's... Anyway, never mind. Do you want to do some reviews before we get stuck in? Contemporary reviews? Not. I'll give. Well, you can you can do one each. Steve-O, do you want to be Anthony Boucher or do you want to be Morris Richardson? Boucher's a bit of a sycophant, isn't he? <laughs> I'll be the other guy. Right, well, you, read, you can read and self-censor this one Oof. on the left here. This is the guy from The Observer who writes for the, when the, it comes out in Britain. Ooh, it's, the, the text is a bit... Doll by Ed McBain. Hamish Hamilton. Small daughter of... Oh, well, we're giving the plot away a, a well, bit. Should right, we do- scan it. While Steve-O scans the review from Morris Richardson... Well, no, I'll just I'll just put blanks in. I'll do a bit of blank. I suspect this blank. is going to be almost entirely blank. Because yeah. I, I, can't be, I can't work... I'm not that quick-witted. <laughs> Doll by Ed McBain. Small daughter of blank New York fashion model. <laughs> not New York. Uh, hears through the wall, her mother being stabbed. Well, that's that's fair yeah. Detectives Corella and Berkling investigate together, then quarrel. Uh, Corella carries on. The doll clues lead him to the source. He gets blank, 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 and... <laughs> and blank. Blank full of blank <laughs> by nightmarish, sadistic blank. <laughs> who's blank... But read it yourself, it's quite short. One of McBain's very best, and the horror isn't unduly played up. So it's a good review, but the main content of the review is just re- listing what happens in the yeah. book. It does, yeah. So that's why I, I heavily blanked it, because I'm not sure how many of those blanks we're prepared to give away in our own reviews. So Perhaps we'll, 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 can take on the role of uh, we'll work our, that old, out. our old pal Anthony Busher, which is less spoilery. He'll be full of praise. Yeah, he's, he's generally pretty good with these things. So um, Steve Carella's impetuous brilliance in solving a hideously vicious murder leads to his own disappearance. That's not going to take much away, is no, it? That's no. okay. That's back of the book stuff. Uh, and the efforts of Maya Maya and the rest are devoted as much to finding Carella as to cracking the case. The writing is as effective as ever. Suspense runs high, and there's a pretty solution gimmick hidden in the title. That slightly gives things away. That's all right, only a little bit. We kind of learned that that's quite an important clue, but we don't know why necessarily, do we? Yeah. Well, it's it's repeated all the way through the book, so it's kind of hammering home. Exactly. uh, Yeah, you don't realise what it is until fairly late in the day. I think generally when you get titles that are like one word and it's an object or something... Or it refers to something like bread referring to money or whatever. You know that it's going to be the thing upon which everything hangs. Yes. And although he uses the the concept of a doll in a couple of different ways Mm. in the book, Mm. it does feature a literal doll. Yes. What do you think? What were your impressions overall then of this one compared to, say, the 19 that have come before? 
Well, um, I think you're spot on that it's it's a bit of a development. It certainly seems a bit grittier and a bit sleazier here and there. Yeah. And is there the first use of the F word in the series? Possibly. And yeah. there's a lot more kind of graphic nudity as well and a bit more coarse language, I would say. Mm. And just all in all a bit of a... Yeah, a bit... Well, you know, spells out kind of the gritty side of life in a lot of the other books, but this one's a bit more laid bare, I would say. Yes. At times. Definitely, it does feel like... It uh, feels like the gloves are off mm. a bit. Uh, yeah, it does. Yeah. I, d- I wonder whether it's that he felt that he was more able, sort of given the prevailing mood of how things were developing in, th- you know, film and TV mm. and sort of... Because you can't imagine this having been adapted for... The night, you know, the nineteen sixty two adapt TV series, yeah. the eighty seventh precinct, which Absolutely. was so sort of well, it, clean cut. If you if you think a lot of those, they, they, we always we always used to kind of mention that they could have made those with very little adaptation to the plot, whereas mm. this would you couldn't have put this onto prime time yeah, sort of TV. Yeah, just the, the the subject matter really. So yeah, there's yeah there's a, a bit of a shift really. Um, it takes a step up in sort of the visceral quality of what happens in it. It is violent in very specific and quite nasty ways, right from the off as well. And the procedural thing all hangs uh, around a very emotional state for the cops to be in as well. Absolutely. So if we sort of begin at the beginning a little bit, I think like the first chapter, right off the bat, is the murder that happens. You know, this this is our before we meet Columbo scene type thing, pre-credits scene, as I like to call them. And it's straight away, it's right in with a proper vicious stabbing. Mm, slashing and all sorts. Um, and it's all told, made even worse, even scarier, by the fact that we're more or less told it from the perspective of a small girl who's listening to this in the next room. And it's her mother being killed. So this is the model, Tinker Sachs, who's the victim in this, we learn very early on. And I, d- I know we've seen a lot of deaths early in the books, but there's there's few that are quite so mm. terrifying and, and feel so brutal. Mm. It certainly does. Yeah, certainly up to this point in the series, it's uh, it's yeah particularly um, hard hitting, isn't it? Yeah, compared to what's gone before. Then in chapter two, I think you're back to fairly classic. Uh, unusual McBain character number one in the book, the main one, good old Cyclops. Yes, this is great. I'll, this is one of the things with McBain and his, his characterization. He could have just had anyone be the like, the elevator operator in the mm. building where the murder happens. Instead, it's a six foot tall or over that totally bald man with only one eye, who's nicknamed Cyclops. Oh, yeah. And yet he draws him, and he just seems totally real. Yeah, yeah. And this is the skill, I think, yeah. of, of McBain with these characters. Is That could be a real sort of... I mean, on TV, that w- if somebody introduced that character and it was cast to be yeah. like that, you'd go, whoa. You'd just be watching this going, what on earth is the <laughs> elevator operator only got one eye for? He's totally preposterous. But I don't know whether that's to kind of serve because there's a lot of back cling in this being a bit of a pain in the ass. And so whether it, it kind of plays into his perception that Cyclops is a a rubbish witness or yeah. he, he kind of thinks he is, doesn't he, just because he's just got one eye. Um, but, yeah, a, a good character Well, we speak on, uh, speak on cling at the moment because we've had a few books since Kling's girlfriend was murdered. He's been... A pain in the arse to everyone around him. He's been difficult to work with, and this book opens with Lieutenant Burns threatening to kick him off the squad. Mm. As it turns out, it's not long before something Kling does or doesn't do, or his relationship with other people causes real trouble. But he has a bit of a a character shift in this as well. Not well, not a shift, but a I don't want to say redemption. Things come to a head. Yeah, it's not quite the sort of uh, road to Damascus moment, but it's it no. certainly a bit, it feels like a turning point for him, doesn't it? One of the funny things that comes out of their questioning of Cyclops, the elevator operator, is that he describes the man who came out of 
Tinker Sachs's room as looking like the actor Sonny Tufts. Oh, yeah. Oh, his name Sonny Tufts keeps cropping up. I had a look at him earlier, yeah. Blonde, a bit of a quiff. <laughs> yeah, blonde, some, blonde quiff. Yeah, blonde quiff. Did you find anything else out about uh, him? Not much. He was an alcoholic who died at 58. Yeah. But I think he's one of the main paramount actors of the 40s who's starred in tons of films you've never heard of, but would yeah. undoubtedly have been a fairly... He was a Common, leading man for a uh, yeah, while. Yeah, and then I think his career hit the rocks somewhat in due to his lifestyle, and he, he got plenty of lawsuits for biting women, I <laughs> seem to remember. <laughs> oh but he, he had a bit of a, a fairly, imagine Tintin crossed with, like, a, a quarterback, a fairly muscly guy with a with a... A quiff and a yeah. big barrel chest, proper, yeah. proper all American. Yeah, yeah. Of, uh... So yeah, you can you, you can imagine what he was like. So yeah, I'd never I'd never heard of him actually, but um... well, it's I, there's a great bit when the guy describes him as saying his hair's like Sonny Tufts' hair. I first have thought, well, Sonny Tufts sounds like a made up name. Mm-hmm. Also, the fact that Corella goes Sonny Tufts, <laughs> like what a reference point. Because by 1965, this guy had already become legendarily sort of yeah. I think he was on, useless. Yeah, yeah. He was I doing big was, parts in TV. Yeah, by that point. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think he was a spent force. Really, I think, by... he, was, I think he starred in uh, My Mother the Car. All right. Which I think we mentioned in one of them. Brilliant. It turns out that the the only lead they've really got to follow is is what the elevator operator has told them, and that she was a model. So they go to the modelling agency. And the modelling agency is one of those settings that McBain uses, which is out of the cop's comfort zone. Mm. It's so its own world. You do feel like if he'd have wanted to, he could have written a book about that modelling agency because he sort of is so good at capturing those little snippets of environments. Corella and Kling are there, and they're trying to get through these really highly decorated rooms where the you can't tell where the door and the wall ends and he's, they feel just really foolish because there's all these glamorous people there and all this. You look you love stuff like stuff like photography studios and fashion studio you know th- there's always people crop up in plenty of the books who are from such industry. I suppose that was industries that he would be reasonably familiar with I suppose. And I suspect given that this is a, a, a sort of Manhattan world. Hmm. Yeah, there'd be plenty of them that kicking around from yeah. a kind of yeah Definitely. realistic point of view as well, yeah. But he meets um, the you know the couple who run that and He's got a Sonny Tufts hairdo as well, yeah, hasn't he? He looks very Sunny Tufts. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's remarkable how many people are going around with Sonny Tufts. In this uh, book there's quite doing. a few of them so <laughs> popular um, stylistic choice of the day. Um, Nineteen books, no Sonny Tufts. <laughs> Doll, Sonny Tufts all over the place. Um, and then another Thirty-five. <laughs> so you're at a loss as to which Sonny Tuft we're looking for here. Is it the man at the agency? Is it not? But basically, clings in such a shitty mood all the time that his his questioning technique is so bad that Corella basically says, "Bugger off back to mm-hmm. the to the squad room and leave me alone to to do this stuff." So and that's a big no-no. You don't leave your partner behind. Uh. He, he gets some photos though, didn't he? You mentioned them earlier. Yeah. When he's before he leaves the, uh, before he leaves the studio, he gets some. Um, uh, I don't know what you would call them. Well, it's like the promotional stuff. Yeah, for, promotional like, like, like photos. Yeah. A bit of a portfolio, so isn't it? Which are reproduced in the book, and I must have to say they're highly unusual because what one's fairly impressive as a close-up of the eyes. Yeah. And then the se- the second one is fairly terrifying in that the, the the way that the contrasters work, the face looks like it's drawn on. Oh yeah, it does. And yeah, then the third well. one doesn't have Completely a face. blanked out face, yeah. And then the fourth one looks even more drawn on, so it's like... It looks like the, the most extreme Instagram filter you could yeah, possibly have. Yeah, it's like that flipping cartoon version of Lord of the Rings they made at the end of the 70s where <laughs> oh, yeah. it was like well, it's live all ro- action rotoscoping uh, yeah so oh. like a an actual photo that in order to obliterate the actual face they've kind of obliterated it and drawn on because that's definitely drawn on isn't it it does look it very much so, so they, they're fairly creepy to be fair apart from <laughs> the first one but they yeah but anyway that's just in side. terms of reproductions and insets quite in the book in, quite interesting we don't, usually get like four pages of photos no. 
So that was a little but treat the, there. But that's the first of numerous in this book that I suppose we will uh, um, Yeah, reproductions of letters and poetry and... Airline schedules. Airline, Airline, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's also, he was going hell for leather with the insets on this one. Yeah, so, which, is, which is always good. Yeah, that's definitely, um, that's my... That's definitely a tick in my 87 precinct bingo boxes. Yeah. Reproductions of forms or letters or photographs or things like that. Yeah, I wonder if there was a, a conscious uh, effort to get back to things like that after um, the sort of slight detour of he who hesitates. Well, mm. on that uh, matter, our friend Stella gave us her thoughts on this one and saying that she thought it that this book was always a memorable and favourite of the 87th for her. But it's even better when you read it after He Who Hesitates because there's so little procedural stuff in He Who mm. Hesitates mm. that it comes back in. It feels like it's really sort of dramatically back in force in this one. Mm. And it certainly is because you do get stuff from the Emmy and from the lab and all that yeah, sort of stuff yeah. as well. So one of the heroes, the un- unsung heroes of this book is Paul Blaney, the medical examiner, who doggedly does his job properly. Mm and therefore helps to move the investigation on. Because the investigation, such as it is, could have been over in Chapter 3. Because Corella, having kicked Kling back to the squad room, finds something out, we're not sure what it is, Mm. picks up a doll from the crime scene, rushes off to do something... And he, he ostensibly has solved the crime. Yeah. Well, if 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 um, he hadn't sent Kling home and he added his uh, partner, yeah, it would have been a three-chapter book, this, and over and yeah. done with. Definitely. But things go a bit uh, pear-shaped. Uh, yeah, that's an understatement, really. <laughs> he, um, <laughs> some shit goes down, basically. Yes, I think that's... I think we... All right, doing loads of swearing on this one because it's quite gritty as so well. Then after, yeah, we did, so then did. after that, basically, you've got two... Things running in parallel, haven't you? Yeah, I suppose you've got what's happening to to Corella. Corella, and then the investigation. Um, to the, 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 the investigation that's uh, fumbling along without the really vital evidence that Corella's got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the massive stumbling block of Tinker Sachs's ex-husband, who obviously comes back to get his child. He's an archaeologist or something. Yeah, he's out looking for evidence of a tribe that used to be in Arizona mm. and he comes back and he's really obstructive and he refuses to say why he split up from his wife and why she was getting doctor's treatment when they finally find out she's getting treated by a doctor. Well, he's a, he's a bit too good to be true, isn't he? Because he's very nice and he was still in love with his ex-wife even though they were divorced. But he's he's a he's similar-ish to Cyclops's. Um, yeah. description, isn't he? Sunny tough death. Yeah, and he just seems a bit too good to be true. And then he, he, all these aeroplanes he was catching at times, it all mm. starts sounding a bit suspicious, doesn't it, really? It does, mm. I, I um, also was a bit confused by his kind of obstruction of the case because... They must. He must have known. He must know that um, an autopsy is going to happen, and he must know that when the autopsy happens, the thing that he's trying to hide is going to come out anyway. Yes, exactly. And even when ultimately they track him down in context of this doctor that's involved in the case, the doctor is very, very helpful. Hmm. He knows that if he, if the police are asking him questions, he has to answer <laughs> honestly. And. Tinker Sachs's husband, Dennis, is still sat there going, no, I'll get you struck off, no, why? It's like, just calm down, man. Yeah. They can't say that to him, can't say calm down, man. No. <clears throat> well, it probably could have done. But the, the worst thing is, after chapter three, a car turns up, burned out with a body inside, mm. and a police gun in it, and Steve Carella's ID. Now, I don't think it's... A spoiler to say, Corella obviously survives, because we've talked about him being in all of the books. Yeah, I think we've already spoiled that one. Yeah. Might be one of those things that, is it the same Steve Corella? That might be... Uh... Uh, might be like when they changed characters in the TV sitcom Bread. Yeah, <laughs> maybe a bit like that, yeah. Although, having never seen Bread, I don't know what you're all about. Never heard of that programme. But no, yeah, of, of course. I don't think it's, it's seriously, even when you're reading this... Without any reference of any other books, it never comes across. I don't know. A bit easy to say if you know he doesn't die, but he doesn't come across as though 
you really believe he's dead, if you see what I mean. Yeah, you just have to live the reactions of, the, of yeah. Teddy Carella you, you know, and Kling and Meyer. Yeah, you just think, well, you know he's not dead, but at that point, but what on earth's going on and who yeah. is dead and Absolutely. why isn't he dead? Because he's been initially held hostage, isn't he, by the, the perp. Um, and then you don't understand why they would quite reasonably have bumped him off. And therefore, yeah. What is very interesting is the montage sequence, basically, which talks about the reactions of the t- of the various detectives on the squad yeah, that's good. reacting that's to yeah. the first one, which is in um, chapter five. So obviously, the the chief of the detectives, Lieutenant Burns, has to tell Teddy Carella that her husband is probably dead. I mean, at this point, Teddy must be like the most stressed wife of all time because Carella is repeatedly shot and mm. left for dead. He's Of all of the cops, he's the one who's... Apart from the events where Virginia Dodge was in the squad room mm. shooting Miss Scolo and people like that, Steve Carella really gets into some scrapes. He really he does, does, yeah. For such a good cop, he does get uh, hospitalised quite a lot. And now this. But then we have this montage of all the, the various cops dealing with it, how they deal with it. My personal best reaction, of course, is Andy Parker, Naturally. who uh, goes out and gets very drunk and finds a prostitute and is quite horrible to her. But then he's been like kind of fairly, I don't know. He was a good man. Yeah. <laughs> I always, I always Hires enjoy... a prostitute to not sleep with, just <laughs> yeah. to have someone to talk to. It's very, it's a tragic side to Andy yeah, Parker, yeah. really. Well, he's a yeah. bit of a tragic character, isn't he? But uh, I always enjoy reading the bits with him because he's. It opens uh, with him saying that you know Parker hated Corella, <laughs> but you know, it's there's there's some sort of bond there of the of the him. You no, know, he knows that Corella's a good man and he's a good cop, mm. and it's if it can happen to Corella. But uh, yeah, he's not not the most in touch with his feelings. No, of, uh, no, he's not. Of, of no, cops, cert- is he? no, certainly no. not. And um, one suspects he doesn't have a, a good support structure around <laughs> him to to help with these things. But it's like Cotton Hawes goes to a movie and just sits blankly through it and all that. Maybe he goes to the park. I think does he? Yeah, but, but Kling, yeah, he, yeah, Kling's obviously the one who's uh, Kling's fully in trouble because he. Left his partner to go, to go off, having had the row with him, and and Lieutenant Burns is like, I can't suspend you, but I am going to get you suspended. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's dramatic. What well, it was a bit that harsh that really because his senior officer tells him to go home, so it's not really. Well, they do have they do have Kling's words. Fault. They do have words, and Kling stomps off at some point. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it just that does happen, but we should. Probably talk about what's happening to Corella at this point, hmm. without trying to give too much away. Well, it's uh, it's very hard to. It is. He, he's not dead. We're gonna have to just deal with this. But he is chained to a radiator. He's chained to a radiator and he's being tortured. Yes. By someone whose name we never learn. No, that's true. Actually. Oh yeah. We learn yeah. The, the name of the male uh, perpetrator. Uh-huh. We never learn the name of the female perpetrator who's holding. Steve Carella hostage, which is curious because we get hostage, to, we, we get to find out the name of the male person, but don't meet don't. them until the very, very, very end. Yeah. And yet we meet his female accomplice. accomplice much earlier, but never get to know her name, which is quite odd, really. Yeah, but she's a fairly unique kind of character. Uh, well, I think she's the most horrifying of his characters that he's introduced into any story so far. Even the deaf man has a different sort of agenda that's not mm. personal. I know it becomes personal in later books. Yeah. More, it's more targeted. But she's got her personal thing of really, really hurting, breaking down, terrifying, destroying someone. Not even necessarily to kill him at no, this point kind of... as well. Literally wants to rip his soul out. And she's, te- she's weird. Yeah, 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 quite, yeah, just like incredibly sadistic, really just, yeah, very, very strange. It's a sort of razor's edge of torture and sex mm. as well in there as well. She's this something going on, and it's Corella, and we sort of, you're willing him with all your might to to survive it. 
you know, or to survive it well, to be strong throughout it. But he has a very, very hard time. He certainly does. But it takes them ages to find him. They've got to really, really piece this together. It does rely on evidence. Ultimately, it's them getting enough information to connect the dots of the few little bits of evidence that they've got. Well, it starts with the will, doesn't it? Because she'd... uh... Yeah, so she's earning an absolute fortune. She's earning more than the President of America, it says at some point. And yet she just prepared a will only, you know, a couple of months or so before her death, which is suspicious in itself. And she's got hardly any estate other than a Chagall. Which I think probably gets covered in blood quite early on. In scene one. (laughs) And so, yeah, the police get... They're quite suspicious about that, aren't they? Um, And then that kind of does another... A bit of another classic, which I noted in this, which I think is something he's done in quite a few books now, the big secret of the victim, you know, that's something that you don't yeah. find about them until very late on in the book, mm. and it's a, a big revelation that the, the, the victim wasn't all that they seemed, and as soon as you understand what they were hiding, or, well, not that they were hiding, but the, the police hadn't sussed out kind of leads them to a, ah, right, well, if we know yeah. that, then it, it's not too much of a jump to work out what perhaps might have gone on. Absolutely. Uh, and that's a combination of the uh, the will business and then the following Dennis Sachs to the doctor and, like you mentioned, getting him to yeah. spill the beans, that whether we're going to spill the beans or not, perhaps we'll leave that to a <laughs> blankety-blank. Yeah. I don't know. Just be able to say the word blank for the rest of the show. Um, yeah. And the, w- it's graft anyway, it is police graft yep. for them, and they're doing it through this emotional haze of knowing it's their colleague, or thinking it's their colleague that's that's, that's yeah. being killed. Because they're under no doubt, they carry on investigating the, mur- the t- uh, Tinker Sachs murder, because they're under no doubt that that is what has led to... Yeah, it's related. Hmm. What, Carilla's d- death. I like the sequence where... Um, Maya Maya has to ring up someone in the LAPD to find out something about a previous crime that relates to Tinker Sachs's life, and it's something from like way back when, thirteen, fifteen years ago. And this, and so he names the character from the LAPD that he's talking to on the phone, which makes me think: is there a parallel world, <laughs> a parallel eighty seventh yeah. precinct in yeah. in LA? You know, a series of books unwritten <laughs> with these people happening over there. I just I like to imagine that there's there's an equivalent. Of this stuff going on in much more Hollywood sense. Oh, of course, yeah. It, but maybe that's um, Hollywood Station and all that lot. Oh, it could be, yeah. The, by the, what's yeah. his face? Joseph Wambo, yeah. Yeah, we've never talked about Joseph Wambo on this, have we, really? No, should do. He's very much. Nate. On the subject of books that are dark and horrible police mm. stories, including procedural stuff, Joseph Wambo's LA stuff is. In that mould, isn't it? Yeah. That this feels like it's it's drifting in. Doll feels like it's getting towards very, that very type different. of writing. Yeah. yeah. Wambo generally, uh, he, a lot of his are about like patrolmen, isn't it? And more co- yeah. cops on the Not beat. Not necessarily even always about sort of specifically focusing on the crime, but no, about more... the, the kind of characters of the of the policemen. So you'll, you'll just get sort of kind of into the psychology of of the actual cops rather than than focusing on the events that they're dealing with quite so much. Yeah. Things like the the Blue Knight that just sort of follows this aging patrolman oh, through his kind yeah. of daily routine. It's kind of heartbreaking and harrowing all at once. It's, uh, yeah, amazing, well worth a look. Uh, yeah, if, if any of you, our listeners, have, who obviously love McBain, haven't read the Joseph Wamba stories, every single one I've read has been brilliant. Yep. The Quiet Boys is an absolute You do have to brace yourself, though. They're not quite, yeah, they're not quite procedural. They are more dark. A bit bit like McBain, he's quite good at the ridiculous character as well, because it wasn't, isn't somebody called, um, like, Commander Moss in those? Mm. He was, like, a total lunatic, like, totally incompetent commander that, um, yeah, they all, you know, don't respect. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're quite are, sad, those books They, they as can well, be actually, quite heartbreaking, yeah. but there is humour there as well. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it is drawn from real life. I know he was mm. a, an ex-LAPD yeah, yeah. Uh, patrolman and then also kept contact with the force and uh, used 
sort of stories from interviews with real cops as the basis of a lot of these things as well. Mm. But uh, yeah, the, the the choir boys and the the New Centurions is, is New Centurions yeah. and, and yeah. the, the Blue, Blue Knight. Knight. Yeah, yeah, excellent. And then he's Hollywood Station yeah, books Hollywood that, Crows, yeah. that has that Nate mm. Nate whatever he's called in. He's got a f- they're all much more recent, aren't they? Nineties yes, and naughty, yeah. but they're, they're they're good as well. Yeah, I'll get them on your Christmas list. That's yeah, what I yeah, say. Yeah. <clears throat> well, but back to Doll <laughs> because we need to start wrapping up in a second with Gosh. this. There's a really good bit. There's not masses of comedy in this by any means. It's the comedy is sort of down a little oh. bit on this one. Mm. Oh, yeah. Steve was no, no. Right. I bet you're just about to mention them though. Well, the bit that I want to mention is where Maya Maya's reading the report on the on the body that's being found and this this notion it mentions that the body was completely bald and yeah. this because Maya is completely bald it goes yeah. into this reverie about why do you always say completely bald <laughs> and he's used a dictionary to look something up and and he, ends, he decides to christen himself the bald eagle oh yeah <laughs> that, uh, yeah. and Sam Grossman from the lab rings <clears throat> up and, and says it's Sam Grossman here and, he, and Maya goes it's the bald eagle here uh, no, but the, uh, maybe a, a point for uh, bingo, eighty-seven uh, bingo reason, as well, yeah. is that you've got uh, Culhoun and Carpenter, who two were, homicide cops yeah, we've with, not with, met before, with this with the yeah. same name, who were kind of from, I suppose, internal investigations to investigate Kling at the end after he's uh, done what he's done, done what he's done, and uh, yeah, the um, uh, they always yeah. come in matching pairs, they yeah, always have the same yeah, line which, of banter, which, don't so, they? So the, this undoubtedly scores fairly heavy. And you mentioned about um, all the parts of uh, the procedural here. You've also got talk about Wambau as well, and the patrolman. The patrolman's quite important yes, in, yeah, in, in helping them suss out what's happened to a Corella. brief moment in the book, but very important uh, to, yeah, uh, which, to um, make something trigger in someone's, in, in Maya Maya's yeah, brain. So, it, so it's got a lot of elements coming together, this, I would say. I think the thing with the the Carpenter and Calhoun as the homicide cops at the end, rather than it being Monaghan and Monroe or someone mm. like that, is because we've already got a relationship with Monaghan and Monroe, so they know what's happened to the 87th Precinct before. Mm. So having two characters we've never met before means they can that McBain can tell a better story mm. with Kling at the end. I think it's quite a, a clever little thing. He still gets yeah. to have a little bit of the humour of these matching pair homicide cops, but he also means that they're a bit remote from the, from the story and, and from the precinct. So it's quite a clever little thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, mm, it's nice. almost like he knows what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? Right, so we better get towards uh, summing up and providing our scores, really. Oh, my Lord. It's, have you got the Kenneth printout? Okay, I've got Kenneth somewhere on here. <coughs> I've got him on standby. Yeah, ignore the other bits, but there's Kenneth for you. So uh, we I, I review. I like to see a, a Kenneth. We oh, review okay. in in the context of the mm. previous ones, and Kenneth, our machine for calculating the scores, always provides us with detailed punched cards and ticker tape, Does, which yeah. Steve-O is now running through his fingers and reviewing. Well, yeah, I'm just having a look at that, which I always like to see. Um. Up and down, what were we last for with the uh, He Who Hesitates? We were looks like about 73, that, I would say, police shields. Yeah. Well, top, be... top score of 89 for, um, that'd be King's Ransom, I would say. Yeah. yeah. And the cop is still in second position, 86, uh-huh. who'd have thought. Okay, well, let's go around and see how many police shields we're going to award each. And I'm going to go to Morgan first oh, this time. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean... As you say, it, it does feel like a sort of the series moving on to to the next stage. Somehow, it's it's kicked into a different gear. It's exciting. It's dark and gritty. It's got a lot of what you want from one of these novels in it, and I enjoyed it very much. It was my first time reading it. Ah, oh, well, there you go. See, there's a, Oof, that's, that's a, a good reaction. Revelation. To have, a good reaction. Right end. Um, so I'm gonna go in with I'm gonna go in strong with a solid 85 police shields for this one. 85, Oof. Stevo. Right. Well, I would concur with a lot of that. Yeah, I think uh, as I've mentioned, it ticks a lot of boxes on the old with the old dabber pen in um, in the in the 87 bingo bingo which is something nice in itself but interesting story reading it for the second time i couldn't remember at all how it panned out and there's not only revelations about the victim but the, even the way that corella had sussed it out very early doors it was very 
clever and might be a bit gimmicky in the hands of somebody else. But yeah, I think it's a, an excellent entry and may, mm. maybe the best to date. I don't know. I, I might be tempted for Ooh. 90 police shields. My uh, goodness, yeah, yeah I'm, I, I think Ooh. it's a, a 9 <clears throat> out of 10 book, this. I think it's a high echelon, I, well, 87th precinct. I would agree with you as well. I'm, I'm concerned that Kenneth's hoppers for the police well, shields are going to get overflowing. Well, at, he, at this. I'm sure he can cope. <coughs> we definitely. It's very satisfying. Yeah, yeah I think that's the yeah. word. Yeah, and I suppose if you, if if you had to hand, you know, there's a handful of books here that if you thought I've only got one shot to get somebody really hooked on this series, this could be a good maybe one. Maybe go the then, one you be. might hand them. I don't know. Yeah, I think. There's markers within the series of where things change or when when new ideas come in, and this is definitely one of them. Mm. And I think as we move into the late 60s and into the 70s, we start to see the real, real classic 87th Precinct stories come to play. The ones that really suit the times that they're written in, the ones that really push forward in quite a bold way. We've got some coming up fairly soon as well that are absolute, you know... Cracker Jacks. Cracker Jacks, indeed. <laughs> I was going to say archetypes, but I like Cracker Jacks. It's very good. But this is this is on the way there, isn't it? It is, I would say so. And I'm going to split the difference a little bit here, and I'm going to go for 88, please. Ooh. Ooh, it's a corker. Uh, we might be on for an 87 here. Oh, if you're rounding... Yeah. <laughs> you know what happens with numbers here. Oh, what's happening with Kenneth? He's taking so long. It's an 87, 87. Well, please shield that's, score. That's perhaps... 87, uh, where does that put it? Second, I think, yeah. Just... Just uh, behind just King's Ransom. by King's Ransom, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the graph will shoot right back up Which there. is perhaps, uh, perhaps fair, because King's Ransom's perhaps a bit more plot depth, maybe. Mm. Maybe. You know, and that's probably the, the most involved... Plot-wise, certainly from that area, but this, yeah, yeah uh, a bit of a sea, not sea change, but a, a certain hmm. different tone to this, I would say. Yeah. So in, get out in, there and read it. In we my haven't humble opinion. spoiled it too much. I oh, hope. I actually, I, I did a small amount of research Ooh, about. Uh, well, this is the thing, but I don't think I can tell you what it was without spoiling a really vital part of the plot for everyone. So do, I might just not the, tell you. We could do that in the bonus. Because then, if people don't want to... <laughs> Maybe we'll discuss it, um, and then we'll figure out if there's anything I can say about it in the bonus episode. Okay, we could always bleep it. Yeah. <laughs> like we were telling something slanderous <laughs> that we had to get rid of. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll finish up there for the main episode. We will be returning, hopefully, be able to fit one in next month before the Christmas period. Yeah, so have we, a little, we will, yeah. Whether we do a full book thing or we do have a Christmas party, who knows? <laughs> but we will be back, and the next book that we will be reading is 80 Million Eyes. Mm. Fantastic. The one about the killer fly. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's a teaser for me. So, I'm going to say goodbye now. Goodbye now. And I suspect my friends will do the same. Goodbye. Now. Fairly well. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>